0: This podcast is brought to you by Vertex. Guys, please go over to www.vertex.com. Vertex is a technical clothing company, technical backpack company, and they make a whole variety of backpacks and range bags, everyday carry bags, and pretty damn good clothing. Um, in fact, I actually have a pair of Vertex pants that goes back to 2016. I wore them on a pilot episode for a TV show that I filmed for <laughs> the History Channel back in the day. I took them through the desert. I've tried destroying these pants um, just by wearing them through briars and all sorts of stuff, and they just keep coming. Uh, they might have a whole bunch of pine sap on them, but hey, they still keep me covered and decent. Guys, if you go over to www.vertex.com, and you use the code fieldcraft that's f-i-e-l-d-c-r-a-f-t you can get 20 percent off of your order while you're there take a look at the Tactigami. that's the folding fabric that you can use to create mag pouches radio pouches all sorts of accessories on the inside of the packs Uh, it's pretty cool stuff Um, i'm a big fan of their dedicated magazine pouches for the range i have one loaded up uh, anytime i go just so I don't have to jam mags at the range. So guys, please go over to www.vertex.com, check out all the stuff that they have, and do not forget that code, Fieldcraft, to get 20% off your order. Hoist has been helping us out here at Fieldcraft for a few years now, and a lot of our students have reaped the benefits of having a great relationship with hoist where we provide hoist drinks at our classes hoist is utilized not only by our students but by a wide range of people in the great outdoors law enforcement professional sports teams and so forth and it's pretty damn good stuff there are some really interesting flavors that they have Uh, i'm a big fan of the mango hoist myself Guys, if you go over to www.drinkhoist.com, you can use the code fieldcraft10 and get yourself 10% off of your order. Now, I would be lying to you if I were saying that that's the only place that you can find Hoist. Many times you just go to the grocery store and you'll find it in the sports drink aisle. And, you know, I've seen it there for you know, a great, great price, uh, great offer. And I've stocked up when I can. So, uh, or when I could have. So please go over to www.drinkhoist.com. Use the coupon code feelcraft 10 You'll get 10% off your order. Find out why all of our students and a bunch of our folks here at the company like hoist and continue to drink it on a regular basis. So one more time, www.drinkhoist.com. Use a code Fieldcraft 10, you'll get 10% off of your order. Just want to give a quick shout out to the Sig Sauer Academy and Sig Sauer. They're one of our sponsors here at the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. And Sig is one of those awesome companies that I've really enjoyed working with over the years. Even before I joined the ranks of the Fieldcraft Survival crew, I was going up to the Sig Sauer Academy back in 2015 and training up there. Guys, if you can't train with us at one of our locations, go up to New Hampshire, go meet the folks from the 6R Academy and train with them up there. Uh, There's a lot to do in the live free or die state. And I'll tell you, you can make a weekend out of it. So you show up the night before, you do your thing, go out to dinner, take the wife or the husband, whatever you got. And the next morning, go out, get a good breakfast, train. Go to the Experience Center, get a good meal at Goody Coles, uh, go stay at the Exeter Inn, great place, and just really just enjoy that area. New Hampshire is one of the greatest states to train in, super friendly people, and I think you're really going to enjoy training at the SIG Academy. I've been there probably two dozen times in my lifetime, and I've done everything from the pistol classes to the carbine classes, the defensive shotgun courses, and the precision rifle courses. Probably the most fun you're going to have there is bullets on vehicles, where you do a lot of ballistic training uh, through glass and into vehicles. And probably one of the most important classes you will ever take is the three-day precision rifle class, because it will make you a better shooter across every platform. Uh, Not to mention, you get a chance to shoot out to 1,000 yards. SIG is really, really uh, raising the bar, you can say that uh with the experience center. I mean, they've got a museum there. They have an indoor shooting range. The Pro Shop is a place where you can spend a lot of money. So just be real careful. And uh while you're up there, look for, you know, some of my good buddies that are up there in the instructor cadre. Uh, if you see Cav, tell him that you got Cadbury eggs and I'm sure he'll do all sorts of things for you, helping you out with, you know, your skill set on the range and all. So guys, please check out uh sixhour.com and please check out the Sig Sauer Academy. And by the way, that is how it's pronounced Sig Sour. It's not Sig Sawyer. Um, and I think you're gonna have a great time. So, all right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Fieldcraft Podcast. Until next time. Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Estella. Uh, don't mind that squeaky chair you're hearing in the background. Uh, I think I'm gonna make it through this podcast without having one of the legs impale me but if you hear a loud cry or scream, that is going to be me uh, living through that nightmare scenario. Guys, uh, my guest today on the podcast is none other than Karen Hunter. Uh, If you don't know Karen, Karen has been busy doing a lot of different things in the firearms community. Uh, kind of a, a counterpart to the stuff that I do and that she's a magazine writer she's an instructor she does a little bit of everything so I'm gonna let her tell you her story and uh, if you hear a dog in the background that is her new puppy which the new puppy sounds like a little terror but I know that I would definitely be that guy that is like can I pet your dog um, because this dog sounds amazing <laughs> so Karen welcome to the podcast thanks for joining us today and uh I've how are you doing
1: I'm good. I'm doing really good. Yeah. Dealing with a puppy, but he's lucky he's cute.
0: (laughs) Well, let's start, let's start there because you gave me a little bit of info before the, before this call. And I just want to let people know what you're dealing with over there. So who's the puppy and what is your puppy?
1: Uh, so he is a mix between a German shepherd and great Pyrenees. He's 11 weeks old right now and already, um, almost 20 pounds. Um, and He's cute as can be. I named him Bandit because he's all black and he's got these little white legs. So I don't know if he's just so cute. Um, and he's been perfect. Um, I've had him for a week and a half and he's just been perfect. He's been just sleeping on his dog bed by my bed and, you know, doesn't get into anything. We traveled for the holidays, came back last night and he flipped a switch and he was everywhere, pulling things off my Christmas tree, running away from me, just (laughs) uber, uber, uber playful. So I'm thinking he's now in that Raptor puppy phase. (laughs) So we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah. Raptor puppy phase has the zoomies all the time. And, uh, yeah. So
1: everything in the mouth.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So here's a funny story. One of our guys over here, Jerry, uh, he recently did a little dog watching for, uh, one of our friends over here and the friend has a Malinois and jerry has three dogs right he's got a uh like a husky mix he has a you know like a lab mix and he has a a doberman so he thought like oh just throw another dog in the mix well this malinois just got bored of everything and decided that it was going to chew through the wall and then they're like well we need to put it over here and we need to put it in the bedroom well the dog ate basically the entire uh mattress cover and i mean the dog was just not happy so um I, I, I sympathize with you. I know that dogs can do some crazy stuff, but hey, uh, they say that you're going to look back on this in years and laugh and smile, but in the moment, you're probably thinking bloody murder.
1: Right? right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny. So I was like, you know, I'm either going to get a new living room, like living room furniture, or the dog. Hmm, what should I do? So I'm getting the dog, and then, of course, you know, I'm like, it's probably going to be a while before I even ever invest in furniture, just in case, <laughs> like the wall. <laughs> I don't know what's going to eat. So... <laughs> But yeah, years from now, it'll be worth it. I'm
0: sure. But not in the moment. So let's (laughs) kind (laughs) of let's kind of go back to uh, to where it all started, because like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, you've done a lot in the firearms industry and in the overall outdoors industry to begin with. So where did your career start and like where did how did you get inspired to to do things in this very bizarre world that we live in with firearms, social media and all that?
1: Well, I was really blessed because the way I came into this was very organic, and I'm just gonna say, you know, I feel it was of God. It was just all the right things, you know, at the right moments. Um, So, growing up, uh, my dad always had, you know, firearms. You know, always a, you know, pro pro gun family, right? But. But like a shotgun and you know a couple of rifles um never really any handguns or anything like that like we had a shotgun hanging over the mantle and i can remember as a young you know young girl i'd go out and shoot you know with my dad every once in a while but nothing like training you know it was just how you kind of grew up back then and um so it wasn't until after you know i was divorced and i had small children um my brother had just gotten into, um, carrying, he got his, um, license to carry and we all thought he was crazy. So I was the typical, no guns in my house because I have little kids, um, you know, terrified to fight like a handgun. Like it just seemed so bizarre to me why someone would want to put that in a holster in their pants. Like I was like, really? I was, I was the person that I, educate today. So <laughs> I'm not that far removed. Um because I didn't understand. You know, I just people don't know what they don't know. And when it's mysterious, it's very scary. So um I can remember on holidays he'd come over and my mom and I would be like, Do you have that gun on you? And he was like, Yes. And we're like, oh my do you really think that's necessary? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we just thought he was this gun nut. So, um, he kept asking me, please go to the range with me, Karen. He's like, you do not understand. You have to protect your kids. And I'm like, well, in my mind, not having that in my home and using something like a ball bat instead was protecting my kids. Um, so he kept asking and asking. And I finally just did, just to shut him up, went to the range with him and, I remember I when I fired the gun, like he, he, you know, he explained everything to me. I paid close attention, and when I fired it for the first time, I remember this feeling of, and I don't want to say the stereotypical, you know, like, you know, empowerment, but basically that's what it was. I remember feeling like, oh my goodness, I can control this, and I can protect myself, and I was a good shot. Like I did really well. Like naturally, I, I not to sound you know, arrogant, but like, you know, he was like, Oh my gosh, you're really good. And I was like, "So," and it was fun. So I really enjoyed it too. So, but I remember thinking, I'm going to do this again because I just felt so like that whole feeling of, and it didn't really make sense then, but like, I can be my own first responder. I don't have to wait to be rescued. It was a feeling like that. And um, so then I was very intrigued. And so I kept going back with him and and eventually went to get my concealed carry license, and I picked out—I just wanted it's so funny—I just wanted the smallest gun ever because, mm-hmm. <laughs> to in to my mind, that was safer. And I had this tiny little—I won't even say the name—but oh, it's terrible gun. And um, I remember showing up to do my shooting portion of the class with my. Gun unloaded in a Walmart bag, and oh I had like Pink Air Pro. Like, I mean, I was that person. <laughs> so, can you, so, you just
0: make the story a little bit better and say that the gun had, you know, Louis Vuitton on the slide or Gucci on the slide, yeah. like it was seracoted <laughs> to look like some designer brand. Right.
1: <laughs> I bedazzled it before. No, um. So, and I did really well. I got my license. You know, I knew, though, I was still afraid of it. I knew I didn't know enough. Um, I knew that what I learned did not apply to what I really needed to know. I mean, I needed to know all of those things in class, but like we didn't learn how to carry it. Like, how am I going to carry this firearm? Um, How am I drawing this firearm out of the whole? I mean, I just knew I needed to know so much more. So I started looking around for training and all I could find was like either really expensive or really far away and totally not applicable to what I needed. I mean, jumping out of, you know, you know, helicopters and shooting hogs, right? Like I saw that I saw. Um, and then on the internet, you're just inundated, inundated. There's so much, it's so overwhelming. Um, or people doing like all of this push-ups and chin ups and run, run, run and running and getting and I'm like, oh, that's not me. And I was, I just needed to know the basics, you know, just to get started. So I, I stumbled across um, a gentleman named Fred Masterson, who has a um course options instruction uh training and things like that does exact executive protection and he was actually doing a class um in Indiana and I was in Ohio at the time and so I called him and he was like well come on out and so um he had me come out to the class and it was very basic basic handgun um he was very easy to learn from I didn't feel like my questions were stupid and I felt like I could I always say he dumbed everything down for me, like very basic. Um it, there wasn't a ton of, you know, terms flying around, parts of the gun that I didn't understand. Like it was just it was it was great. And so um and he mentioned he's like, you know, Karen you're shooting really well. He's like, after everybody leaves, can I do a, a drill with you? And I'm like, sure. And it was the dot torture test, oh, <laughs> like yes. which that didn't make any sense to me. I was like, "What are we doing?" And he's like, it "Don't just just humor me, right?" And I still have a picture of it somewhere today. I actually did really well with it. He said, "Karen, he, he said you're a natural shooter." I said, "That's what my brother told me," but you know, I don't know. still so scared and all the things. And he's like, well, you keep training and you keep working on the things we talked about. And, um, if you ever want to really train, he's like, you would be a phenomenal instructor. And that was so foreign to me. So I just kind of dismissed it, went home. And then, um, you know, I was still afraid. And so I like, I started what I call house carry. I would just carry my unloaded gun, you know, no magazine, no ammo, just in my holster around my house and then I'd practice drawing it and until I got comfortable to actually take it you know somewhere else with me or start carrying with it but it wasn't until I actually I was still afraid it was going to just you know blow up right or go off when I was carrying it so I thought I need to know how this works so I completely followed a YouTube tutorial took the gun apart broke it down looked at everything put it back together and then I was like oh because when it's, you demystify it that way, like, and then I'm like, oh, that's what makes this do this. And if this is it over, you know, all of this is proper, then it's not going to go off. If I, you know, have proper trigger guard protection, you know, all, it just suddenly made sense to me. And it made me realize I respect the firearm for what it can do, but it's a tool and I'm in control. And, and if I do everything I'm supposed to do, I'm safe. And that's what really made, that's when everything kind of changed for me. And I became much more confident, um, in carrying and in handling my firearm, what I call becoming one with the firearm, you know, and I think it's an extension of me, not just something I'm afraid of. Um, so during that whole process, Fred also, um, found out that I was a writer. Um, I, I just wrote, you know, I've always, you know, loved to write and, um, you know, I had aspirations of being a journalist when I was younger and all the things. And he said, Karen, you can write in this industry. I'm like, You can? <laughs> he was like, Yeah. And he was like, if you're ever interested, let me know. So he introduced me to an editor at Athlon Outdoors and and he was like, Well, Karen, he's like, um, tell me what would be different about you. And I was like, uh, I don't have 20 or 30 years experience like mm-hmm. everybody else. <laughs> He's like, it's not a bad thing. He's like, let me give you a topic. You, you write me a sample. And I said, okay. And so I did. And then he came back with 10 assignments. And that's kind of where everything started with writing. Um, because I brought something different to the industry because everyone was so used to the writer who is, you know, 20, 30 years removed from the everyday, gun owner or the writer that um is former law enforcement or former military which all of that is needed and very very important Um, but the voice of someone who is brand new timid and scared or just doesn't know and not just women there are men like that too there are men i have a lot of men that come to my classes and follow what i do um writing wise because they they don't feel as intimidated because i think sometimes men if they show up to a class of all guys right in there there's this air of i should know what i'm doing because i'm a man and And i don't
0: and i'll tell you that happens that happens not just in shooting classes that happens across the board like like there's no doubt that guys i mean we we're, I mean, our egos can get in the way and there's always that initial like kind of measuring contest. Like, all right, who's the best in the room? You know, it's kind of like in (laughs) that scene in Top Gun when they're like, all right, you want to know who the best is? It's that guy over there, Iceman. He's cool as ice. You know what I mean? Like everyone wants to, everyone wants to be Iceman, but the reality is you're probably the, you know, the guy that, that gets washed out and there really is an Iceman in the room. But it's like, once you realize, Hey, look, I just want to be a better version of myself by the end of the day. And guess what? That guy is, is light years ahead of me and he's still going to get better and I'm going to get better we're on the same team like so what you know but your story your story sounds so similar to so many other accounts that i've heard up until the writing part which i want to get to in a second but you know it all starts with just getting educated and i think that's part of the narrative of this country and all the gun owners that i know when people say like well you know um you know i'm I'm afraid to go well how many gun owners do you know who are willing to take someone who's a complete newbie and be like let me show you how how awesome this is that happens all the time and people think like oh i could never ask that person who has a gun like they would never they'd never take me yet the reality is i think every firearms owner i know wants to share what they do with their firearms and build the community as opposed to you know just being that person online who just gets involved in like flame wars online and yells at people online from an anonymous profile um so it's interesting that that story comes up again, because we've heard it so many times, like, oh, I was afraid until I tried it and I loved it. You know, I could, I could say that's happened so many times, but the right, yeah, It always
1: excites me so much (laughs) when people are new and then they, you know, that light just comes on and they're like, I love, you know, I get so excited.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because that light comes on with the first round that they, they crack off. But then the light comes on again when they realize, okay, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was, but after one day of training, wow, I'm, I'm really getting better. And they realize like there's a formula to understand how to get better and how to practice to get Mm -hmm. better. And the light comes on again. And then, you know, I, I, that should become a blog article that I'm going to write maybe for Fieldcraft, Like when the light comes on, you know, and maybe it'll be like
1: the the first round that you you made a really good point. Like not all of us could go out there and just go play football. Mm. or baseball you know like like there's some things that you have to naturally be good at and i mean there's an element of that to shooting but like really with shooting with the right fundamentals most everyone can become very good um you know i don't know it's just something that's not just exclusive for those with athletic ability or you know what i mean
0: yeah my dad would say it's the great equalizer he said that if you're a little old man or a little old lady and you're totally totally you know feeble but you can pick up a pistol you can take out an aggressor who's many times larger so you don't need to yes. have a lot of physical attributes i mean you do need to know how to rack the slide and and hold mm-hmm. a, a proper sight picture but i mean my dad would say it's a great equalizer so let let's jump back to this what you were just talking about before i interrupted you about writing oh, sorry. because uh, yes
1: so i started that and i realized um i kind of started my own Niche, but I also realized I, I'm not as you know. At that time, I was so new, so I was working very hard, like almost like schooling, like like getting getting an education, hours and hours and hours of just deep immersion into really wanting to understand so many things about about everything firearms, right? Like from guns to mechanics to the, the nerdy stuff to Training to, I mean, just everything. Um, and, and I was kind of working backwards where some of these, and it was mostly guys, you know, at that time, I was one of the only female writers. Um, so I was with, and it's not, not that it was a competition, but like, um, these guys were very well, you know, versed in, in, in their knowledge, right? And here I am brand new. So like, I'm working twice as hard, like, because I would never, the biggest thing for me, my entire career has been to stay Genuine and authentic. Mm -hmm. I will never write about something that's what I consider out of my lane. Um, I stay in my lane with what I know. Um, And then if I... Um, for example, somebody wanted me to write um, a knife fighting article. And I'm like, what What, what do you mean about that? <laughs> like, what? They're like, you know, how to fight with a knife. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, <laughs> I have an EDC knife and that is my everyday carry as a tool. <laughs> it's not, you know, if I go to knife, I failed my situational awareness. I failed utilizing my firearm. Like knife fighting is not something that you just don't grab a knife and, and assume like this is my self-defense tool. I mean, there's so many things that go into that. I said, so if you want me to write an article about that, it's going to be from that perspective. Here's what you need to understand. It's, um, if this is going to be your, your option, here's probably what you're going to need to look into for training. Um, this is what you need to be aware of. Here's the difference between having a knife because it's your everyday carry like tool, um, you know, for emergencies or whatever. But if you're going to rely on this for self-defense, you know, whatever. I said, but I will not plate myself as a subject matter expert on knife fighting combat because that's not me. Is <laughs> that the most rid- that. is that the
0: most ridiculous uh magazine query that you've uh you've received or magazine article suggestion that you received? Because I've got one that um, might top that, but I'm, I'm sure you've gotten some interesting ones.
1: That was close. Outside of that, somebody wanted me to do um To present myself as a swordstress, which is what I I, I don't do, sword either. (laughs) I'm not Mulan. (laughs) Okay, hypothetically, though,
0: if you could wield any sword from any genre, whether it's TV, movies, you know, whatever, if you could wield any type of sword or any, if you could have the skill set of any swords, woman or man, what would it be? Which one?
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Mm. You didn't expect that question.
1: no, I didn't. because does Laura Croft Tomb Raider count? Does oh, she build a sword? Oh, she does knives. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll give you that. I received a, a magazine uh, article across my my laptop here. And it was, hey, can you write an article about moving a lot of dead bodies after a mass casualty incident? Oh, and I was what? like, I swear to God, I still have that email kicking around somewhere. I know who sent it to me, so it wouldn't be hard to find. But uh, it was, can you recommend how to move a lot of dead bodies After a mass casualty incident and then you know sometimes how like your editors will give you like the like the two or three sentence justification of why it would be interesting they're like yeah they'd be like well you know after a mass casualty incident you know there's gonna be germs and bacteria and you gotta you gotta bury the bodies but how do you move them like do you know just you don't just grab them and i replied i was like well you know the last time i moved a whole bunch of dead bodies was never and i know (laughs) absolutely nothing about this like If it ever happens, I mean, I don't think I'd be, I don't think I'd be reaching for a magazine to be like, Oh, let me look at that article about moving dead bodies as a, as a, I don't
1: think I'd be getting involved. (laughs) I'll stay ignorant right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, so if you guys are are listening and you've ever thought about becoming a magazine writer realize, yeah, sometimes you get your dream and sometimes, you know, when you present your editors, a topic that you really want to write about, they're all gung ho. They're like, yeah, green light, go for it. And then sometimes you present a topic that you really believe believe in and they'll say no we've done that before or it's not interesting and then sometimes you get the move dead bodies you know requests (laughs) that's
1: so funny but that's so true though too because like um there are some writers that they'll take anything and and i think i think like so and not to sound egotistical but because i've kept this genuine stay in my lane and I, and I'm true who I am. And there are things I, I would consider myself, you know, uh, well-versed on and, and, um, knowledgeable on. And then other things I'm like, you know, well, let me, let me, uh, and there've been articles too, where they wanted something. I'm like, I can write that, but let me include somebody that I would consider Mm -hmm. a subject matter expert because like, somebody wanted me to do something on, you know, being a sniper and I'm like, okay, well, I love that kind of (laughs) shooting. And I'm, I've never been in that type of environment. Right. So, um, to genuinely speak to it, you know, I would get somebody, you know, a former ranger I know. Um, and then there was another gentleman in Texas, like, you know, I consulted with them and then I quoted them in the article and put their name in there. And, um, and I mean, that's just how I am. So because I'm genuine like that, people know, they can trust what I say. They can trust what I write. Um, because there's a lot of people that, how would you say the the perception is much bigger than the reality of who they are. And I think sometimes, um, in the regular civilian writing world, like where I am, um, a lot of law enforcement or, you know, uh, military people don't even want to read those magazines because they feel like there's a lot of, what they call posers, people trying to be like them or trying to be in that area. So because I've stayed the way I am, I've earned a lot of respect from, you know, the law enforcement realm, the military realm, and even the civilian realm. So people know, you know, they can trust what I say. So if I say, yes, this is what I think, and um, this is what I know, or, you know, I've done so much research and studying and taking classes and training that over the last decade, like it's just amazing where I've come in such a short time from where I started, as that you know, gun in my Walmart sack with my pink ear pro. Um, and so um, yeah, that's kind of where, and and because of that, like doors have just opened. And one of my favorite things is collaborations with companies, and I have met some wonderful, beautiful people in this industry and made some really good friends. And you know, I just think that everything we can do in this industry to bring it's not always about putting myself out there or my name out there but if i can bring companies together or organizations together where we're all strengthening just this industry as a whole and to me that's a beautiful thing so i you know i kind of branch out into that area too as well so everything just kind of steamrolled really quickly but very organically so I'm I'm sorry I rambled on and on but like that's kind of my story.
0: <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, the uh the gun industry, the firearms industry as a whole is is very interesting to say the least. I mean, you have what we talked about earlier where people will go on anonymously and just bash one another on instagram and from the outsider looking in you'd be like why What the hell would i even get involved in that um and then you've got these like sub segments you know you've got the people that are strictly into the second amendment and they vote second amendment because of hunting then you have some people who you know they've escaped some of the worst conditions in other countries, come to this country, become a naturalized citizen. And then next thing you know, they're advocates because they're like, hey, in my home country, I couldn't defend myself and people took advantage. Like you've got those people. You've got, as yeah. you mentioned, the the military crowd, you know, the people who were involved in the Great War on Terror, the global war on terror. And, you know, now they're You know, they're in the training field, you know, much like, you know, my boss here at the company and a whole bunch of others, you've got people who have the law enforcement side that do that. And then you've got a whole bunch of people that are into, you know, I've seen, I've seen some, uh, some folks who are getting into these like exotic builds where they'll buy a kit that turns a standard firearm into something that looks like Han Solo's blaster, you know? And it's like, it's like, Hey man, you do you like, like granted, I'm not a big fan of like the, the overly tactical lever guns like I think lever guns look classy when they're with wooden stocks and blued finishes right. but but hey man right. like I'll, I'll knock them but at the end of the day if someone's out there shooting you know I'm happy um what do you think what do you think the other current trends are in the firearms industry that are worth bringing up that maybe someone who's not as involved should be aware of like I, I mean I know that there's a push obviously for people to be able to hunt nationwide with suppressors because of the, the hearing protection act. Right. Um, what are some of the ones that you're passionate about or what are some of the ones that people should know about that maybe they wouldn't hear about if they're not as involved?
1: I don't know if this really falls like into, um, what you're asking, but the thing that stands out most to me that I'm such a stickler about is when people do so many modifications to their carry gun. Um, because the, I think the thing that people don't realize is this. If you ever have to use your firearm, everyone always thinks of their firearm and why they have it and you know that it can save their life, but nobody ever thinks beyond the point that if they ever have to use it. Yes, it could. Could. I always say could save your life. You never know who you're up against, but um, that's why you need to train. But um, if you ever have to use it, anything, After that, you have to prove your life was in danger. Like there's a whole slew of things that happen if you, unfortunately, God forbid, if anybody ever has to go that route, that the more you have done to your gun beyond how it came stock, the more you have to explain in a court of law. And, um, this is why I always encourage people like U S law Shield's fabulous about things like this, but, um, to have, you know, they need to educate themselves on things like that. So like when they put, the, put that really, really like, I love a light trigger, love a light trigger, like the lighter, the better for me, but like on my carry gun, you know, that my trigger's going to stay stock. Um, now I'll find the lightest, one available, you know, things like that. But like anything you do, like, um, like people that make it look like, Oh, I don't know, like that duck hunting gun or, or like, uh, they change the, just anything you do, um, you have to explain. Um, there was a gentleman who had to use his gun. Um, and he had modified the trigger and was really light. And they were able to say that he was just, um, he, you know, he used it because he was itching to use it. Um, things like that. Does that make sense? I don't know. So, um, I know that that's always been a trend and probably always will be a trend to do all these modifications and things like that. Um, but I would always tell people, be very, very careful what modifications you do and really look into, okay, what what could happen where I would have to explain this away? Um, does that make sense? I don't know if that answers your question.
0: No, it, it does, because there have been cases even of law enforcement who have gotten in trouble for changing the dust cover, right? on their Mm AR-15 to say, fuck you. And it's like, whoa, whoa. You know, like what message does that send? Yeah, things like that. (laughs) You know, and I mean, that's a well-known case where a guy did that and he got, you know, his... His butt handed to him um yeah. but you know for the the average civilian like there's another reason beyond the legality of it it's just that your firearm as it came stock from the manufacturer, that was the most tested version of your firearm with that recoil spring weight with that trigger and sear engagement it, like the minute that you start yeah. shaving grams off of the slide because you want cool slide cuts or whatever well, it's now a modified firearm that weighs less than it did when it was tested with thousands and thousands of rounds. So you're really hoping that that firearm will work the way it's intended, as opposed exactly. to the way that the manufacturer said, "Look, this is this is the way it should be." Like, like I, sh- I shoot a stock Glock 19 whenever I run a class. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I'm if I'm like shooting a, a shotgun class, I'll break out the pistol and I'll be like, "All right, here's nine rounds just to show you like." quickly you can put nine rounds on target with a pistol. Here it is with a shotgun. But the gun that I always bring to courses is a stock gun. Because I never want someone to say, well, right. you couldn't do that with a stock gun. You've got a modified right, gun. Right. It's like, well, I'll shoot it with a stock <laughs> and gun. And people yeah. do
2: say that. They, they do. And <laughs> yeah. I get it.
0: It's cool. Yeah. Um, but I also, I, I like being able to demo in front of students and you know that adds to the credibility. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that whole idea, like you said, of, of even like carry insurance, that's something people don't know is available or the idea of insuring your firearms in your home. Like you mm-hmm. might have a, uh, an heirloom firearm that your granddad had that might be worth $20,000. And it's like, you can insure that, you know, so there are things that people just aren't aware of because insurance policies aren't sexy on Instagram, you know, but, no, they're not. <laughs> but the guy doing the, the, you know, shoot one, reload, shoot one, uh, you know, that that might be a little bit more exciting for someone to click, you know, like right. than the right. person explaining, you know, here's a policy that will protect you if your house burns down.
2: This episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus. Why do our hormones suck as we get older? Our human growth hormone and its derivative of growth factors can reduce by 50% by age 35. And it doesn't matter how hard you train, how good you eat. If we don't have the proper hormones in our body, we're not going to get the results we want. BioPro Plus is the first of its kind non-synthetic alternative to prescription human growth hormone. All the benefits of synthetic HGH without any of the needle side effects or doctor's visits. Guys, that's the ad that I'm supposed to read, and it's the truth. But I've been on BioPro myself for a year and a half, and it has drastically changed my life, my fitness, and my health in general. I suffer from traumatic brain injury from years of blast overpressure. Uh, working with explosives. And uh, I don't suffer from any of the side effects anymore. My fitness is better than it's ever been. And I'm going to be 45 next week. So head on over to BioProteinTech.com, Click on the link, use code fieldcraft for $30 off your first order. Don't take it from me, go try it yourself.
0: We've talked a bunch about this and I know you know, you're not someone to do the the gun bunny thing. And I I can't stand gun bunnies. I can't stand, you know, people and then by the way, there are gun bunnies that are dudes too that just want to look really cool and like roll their sleeves right. or, or wear yeah. tight shirts. <laughs> but I can't stand it. How have you managed to avoid that? Um, because I've had people say, Well, Kev, you should, you should like, you know, do workouts and you know, you know, you boost your followers. I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, like I, I'm a dude. I, I'm not a you know, a super jack dude. I I just want to show the skill set. Like how have you managed on your end to avoid those pitfalls? Cause I think a lot of people will fall into the let's just make it look good as opposed to the substance of what we're showing.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and um and you know, if I did do those things, you definitely would get more eyes, more followers, more eyes and and all of that. Um but those are not like, for example, um, companies. And I think it's 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 becoming less now than what it was before. But companies were definitely using a ton of gun bunnies, you know, and and these I don't even know what a guy would be called guy gun bunny, whatever you know. But but these type of influencer people to sell their products. And I think and they would have like a million followers or however many. And um, I think they started realizing that while there's a lot of eyes on these people. Those eyes are on those people and the coolness, the cool factor, but not your product. Like these are not the people buying your products. These are like maybe some young teenage boys at home. They're just oogling the pictures or whatever, but these are not, this is not your customer. And so I think they're starting to get away from that. But for me, like, I I mean, my character just, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but I'm, I'm, I'm a modest person. Um, And that's just not in my nature to to be like that so that's never even occurred to me to should I do something like this or not do something like that um I've just I've just never done it I've just always been me so like who you see online is who you see in person you know my my personality it's it's just who I am and I've always just tried to remain true to that I just um for me I can't I can't be anything else but me if that makes sense and um i haven't really gotten a lot of people that said oh you should do pictures like this or like that i do get a lot of people that say it's refreshing that you do it different um this is very refreshing that you bring a different a different um you know way to this and not just from the gun bunny side but um also from like like when i do video let me tell you, there's bloopers galore. (laughs) Like (laughs) like, people should never like pay me money in studio time. (laughs) This is going to take a minute because I laugh a lot and then, you know, I'll get tongue twisted or whatever. And then, then I just crack up. Well, so most of my content creation I do on my own anyway, but when I have a funny blooper or something that came out, I would put it out there like in a story or online, like, because it's funny and I enjoy laughing and to me it it shows that you know I may have more experience in this area or people might be coming to me for this but at the end of the day I'm still just a regular person just like everybody else and I think there's a way you can balance that human nature that people can really resonate with and say oh you know what that, I like that that's like me that's something I do um and still stay professional and respectable and respected. And I think so, you know, basically you keep your clothes on um, <laughs> and it's just all the things. So and and I had people tell me, Karen, you shouldn't put your bloopers out there. And I'm like, well, why? And um, you're going to lose a lot of respect. Why? <laughs> so you know what? If I'm going to do this. And that was early on. I need to do this my way. And if it works great. And if it doesn't, well, then maybe it wasn't meant to be, but I cannot put myself out there. Like I'm above anybody. Like I want to be respected for what I know and be considered somebody that people can go to for information, education, and, and you know, all of those things. But I also want to be somebody that they know, um, they can resonate with, like, I'm a real person. So I want to always maintain being genuine. So with the whole gun money thing, like it's just not something I I could do. I just never even thought Mm. about it. And what's funny is over the years, I've seen people rise really fast, um, both men and women, uh, because of, you know, putting themselves out there like that or being willing to do those things. And typically they fall pretty fast, too. So, um, or they're, or, or they're quickly changing direction. And even aside of the gun bunny thing, there's people like, I call them tactical, the tactical cool people. Mm. Um, there, there's guys out there that present themselves like they are. You know, special forces and all these things. And I mean, and they're not, but, um, and women like that too. They're just so hard and just, you know, everyone wants to bring this badass quality to everything. And sometimes that's more off putting or people find out, you know, they can't perform to the level that they say, you know, they can. I've seen people like out on the range at different events and they can't shoot. And, um, and I would never out any of those people, obviously, but it's like, you know, that's the other thing by maintaining, um, a real genuine way. That's, that's true. Um, if I ever have to be somewhere and perform, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to fail. You know what I mean. Or if if I'm not having a good shooting day, then that's okay too. But I've not put it out there like I'm some master class. You know, <laughs> does that make sense?
0: <laughs> yeah, Grand Pumbaa, Karen Hunter, yeah. s- firearm yeah. shooter extraordinaire. <laughs> you know, I think I think part of it too for anyone who is engaged in anything online, whether you are, you know, just like a hobbyist on on you know the range and you just want to post social media, or you are someone who does it for a living, like my job, your job. I think no matter what you do, you should have a moment of pause before you hit submit because, you know, there are plenty of times your posts, you might regret that five years from now. Or again, kind of like with the modifications to your gun, like what about the stuff that you say online? You know, we bring it up in our personal security classes here where if you're the person that goes online and you decide that you are going to comment on a video of a homeowner who shoots an intruder. Now, Good, bad, indifferent, shoot, whatever it may be, you say, someone breaks into my house, I'm blasting them. Well, now you happen to have a moment where you do that. And before you go to trial, someone is gonna scrub everything like Mm -hmm. to a forensic level. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna scrub everything in your social media and they're gonna say, Oh, look, he made this comment or she made this comment. Someone breaks in my house, I'm gonna blast them. Hmm. Do you think they're they've been looking forward to that? Like, you know you just got to be real careful what you put out there and whether it's from that severity of like, look, just mind yourself, or maybe someday you don't want your kids to see what you did. Like just be careful because right? what you put <laughs> what you put out there stays out there. And you know, there's this wonderful thing called screenshots, which I have a whole bunch mm-hmm. of great screenshots. Um,
1: and, and you know what, there are people looking lurking and waiting just to find those things just to, you know, and yeah, I always move with, you know, like you said, you know, instead of like, I see things and trust me, there are things I want to say sometimes. I'm like, (laughs) so I keep my, my presence very, you know, (laughs) very even keeled. So yeah, every, sometimes people just, they don't, they don't think they don't think past that moment, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's so important. Um, so now, now another aspect of, of firearms, ownership or firearms, uh, gun owning, whatever you want to call it, um, is something that is near and dear to you. And it's something that actually brought us together because we've never you know, met in person, but I reached out to your company because when I got here to the North Carolina office, I was like, all right, um, I'm really going to take it to the next level. I want it to look a certain way when students get here. I want them to have access to certain gear. I want to have photo props and whatnot. And just on a, on a, off chance, I was like, ah, let me just look online. And I I came across the website of Secure It Gun Safes. And I was like, okay, um, I'm just gonna reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I'm I'm here at Fieldcraft and you know, we always have students that come in and we'd love to give them the ability to store their firearms or their gear on multi-day courses or whatever. Would you guys ever want to work and then work together? And the next thing you know, I get a message from you and you're like, hell yeah. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your role at Secure It because what a cool company. Um, and and listen, guys, if you're listening to this, I know that Fieldcraft has done work with other safe companies and whatnot. Um, but I just, I'm going to talk from my own personal experience. Uh, we just met, you guys are so willing to, to help out and I love the product. Like I'm going to have this stuff in my house. Um, so how did you get involved with a safe company and what can you tell us about the company?
1: Um, so it was about uh, six, seven years ago. Um, I met Tom, the CEO of Secure It. And as a writer, you, of course, you know, I never like, I never say, oh, this is the company, right? I've never just, you no, know, I'm just, I'm impartial, right? Um, because I want to be able to write about everything. And, um, and I hadn't written about a safe company yet. So Tom wanted me to come to New York because he was, a, he was putting a panel of people together to um, come out with a new type of safe. And he. He found me, knew that I was an instructor and he wanted a, he wanted um, a female um, in there as well to have, you know, a nice opinion from both sides, you know, of the fence. And so I went out to New York and met him and um, it just kind of started there. And he really liked what I had to say. And he really liked what, um, you know, the, you know, the thoughts I interjected into our conversation. And then I fell in love with his concept because I love things like from, from in my whole journey, people will be like, "Oh, you need to do this or you need to do to do that," and I would be like, "Why? Because it has to make sense to me. If it does, if I can't break it down to where it makes sense and it's applicable, then it's just like, no, I don't have to do that. <laughs> like that, you're know, I don't know. So, like with Tom, he. Has what he calls decentralized storage, and this was just brilliant to me. So instead of having one big safe in one central location, like in a home, he he breaks that up to where you have safes now decentralized throughout your home that that you can store a firearm safely, but also access within seconds from any point in your home. Different shapes, different sizes. So my mind was like, oh my goodness, as a you know. Back when I was just starting to carry as a young, you know, single mom, um, this would have been fantastic because I was told over and over again, don't lock that up because you'll never because I had a safe in my, you know, if I had a safe like out in my garage or like in in the basement or wherever, you know, you're never going to get to that in time, which is true. Like if I'm sleeping in my bed in my bedroom, I'm not going to make it out to another room to access something out of a safe like that. But I was always nervous about having just a loaded gun, you know, within reach of my kids. So if I would have had something like what he had, I could have had something right or, you know, right at my bedside. I could have also had something in the kitchen or I could have just, you know, at the time when I only had one gun, I could have had just like multiple safes through my house and taken my gun to every room if I wanted to, you know, anyway, so I fell in love with how he did decentralized storage and how his, states were so quickly accessible. Um, I also liked when he talked about fire ratings and and just things that people, I don't know, he's, we won't delve into that, but like all of his education things that he was talking about, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. And you can prove that's accurate. So I jumped on board with him quickly and said, you know, Tom, I love your company. I love what you're doing. Um, I love that you are about the everyday gun owner and you're not just trying to make money right and um and i love that it was a smaller company and i just really wanted to be a part of that so i told him you will be the only safe company that i write about you'll be the only safe company that i use like i that was a no-brainer for me so we've been friends and i've been working with secure for the past you know six or seven years but then last year um uh he uh wanted me to like come work for him like be you know a part of the staff and I'm like mm, I don't know <laughs> and I was like, well I will if I can still write because I can't stop writing and he's like oh, absolutely absolutely and you know and he's just a good guy that way like um, he's all for bringing the industry together and you know and so I have the complete freedom to actually work for security as their business development manager which I love because I can bring other companies in like Um, other people, people like you and um, all the things that everyone else is doing and just kind of strengthen the industry that way. So um, that's what I've been doing for the last year. I still write, I still instruct, but I also work for Secure It, developing um, more of their marketing and branding aspects um, to get their name out there, to get them known on this side of the industry um, and things like that. So yeah. And then I do a little product development with them too. And so we've got some new stuff coming out and, um, and it's just a great group of people to work with because it's never about the bottom line. It's always about what's good for people. And w- in, in when they start making something, I don't know, you've probably being a gear guy too, like, right. Like mm. you've probably seen things and you're like, Oh, it's great. And then you get it home and you're like, that does not even work. Like, yeah. you know, so it was all hype. Right. So, when they come out with things, he'll he'll say, do you think, you know, we don't want this just to be hype. Is this applicable? Is there a place for this? Is there a a real need for this in someone's home? And he'll ask all of us, you know, everybody gets to say, so it's always about the end user versus how much money can we make? I mean, of course the company wants to make money, obviously, but, um, but, but that's what I fell in love with, with that. And I love how open he is to get our product in the hands of people like you, you know, because you are, boots on the ground with the people you train. And that's our demographic. That's, that's our end user. Um, so Tom's very generous with people like you, like, Hey, you know, wh- see what they want, see what they need. Um, how many people are going to come in? Because we believe there's a need for this. Um, this fast access decentralized storage.
0: So let's, let's talk about that for a hot second, because you know, a lot of people say, Hey, you should own a firearm safe. And I've, ha- <clears throat> I've had one in my house ever since I was 14 years old and I got my first Ruger 1022, right? Like I had the home mm-hmm. Mac, the home Mac stamped steel safe with like the tubular keys, you know, like the, the, yeah. you know, it's kind of ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You know, I had that thing and I still have it. It's at my, my family's house in Connecticut. Um, But a lot of people don't talk about strategy with firearm safes and like what you can do with them and and certain things like, you know, people and and not to get too deep in the weeds here, but like we could have done a whole podcast just on safes, but it would sound like a sales pitch and I'm not all about the sales pitch. I'm a trainer, (laughs) not necessarily a a dude that wants to market everything. But in any case, like the whole decentralized idea is like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, like you said. And where do you spend your time? You know, I used to know a guy, um, he's a former cop out of Albany and he used to have his shower gun and it's like the most American thing ever. You know, he's like, look, I used to bust people all the time in Albany. They know where I live because of property records. So he's like, I'm going to keep a pistol where I can access it in my shower. And it's like, if you followed that whole centralized firearm storage idea, then he would have to leave his shower, leave his bedroom go down to the basement, wherever the gun is, and he wouldn't have access yeah. to a tool when he needs it. Another thing that I like about your company is that everything is super modular and you can install things on the inside of the safe. So it's like, you don't just have to store your firearms in there. Like when you travel on vacation, you can put your jewelry in there if you have expensive jewelry or watches or whatever. Oh. Um,
1: Absolutely. And you're not like this again, not to interrupt, but the configurability hmm. of these safes was another thing I fell in love with because the safe that I had, because I would have a safe just for the guns I would get in for T and E, right. Cause I'm, you're responsible for those before you send them back. And, um, and I hated it because like, they're all on top of each other. It's always, it's predetermined where they go. Um, and most of it, like, I'm like, that does not work well for me, you know, and my height, um, and then like, so with, with these, with secure safes, like you can set up the inside for you. Like I could have my handguns where I wanted them. Mm-hmm. Like it was a blank slate for me to say, how do I want to configure, you know, the inside of the safe and, and which is always kind of fun too. So that was another thing. I'm like, that's all about the end user. Like, and, um, and what you're in, and, and interesting enough too, like what you were talking about um, this is another reason why I love this company I was talking with Tom one day, and I'm like, you know, our, our safes are fast access, which they are. Um, I said, but they're only fast access if someone trains for that. Right. Just like if you decide to carry and you put your gun in a holster, if you don't train with your draw, you know, especially drawing from concealment, clearing a garment, you know, all the things. In a, in a moment that you really have to, you're going to fumble. It's it's not going to work, or you're going to freeze, or whatever same thing with accessing a safe. And I love how supportive he always is. I, and I said, we need to do scenario-based training. Like we need to write something up to teach people when you get this in, here's the things you need to think about. Um, because you might have to, you know, obviously like a, a good plan is you get to the safe room, you get in the corner, you know, lock the door, get in the corner, call my normal point in, right. But you might have to go to another room and get your kids or now you're CQ being from within your own home. And, um, all those things. And like if in, in the middle of the night, you know, if you can't like I have a fast box under my bed. um, But if I don't practice blindfolded, reaching down and seeing if I can open that and index my firearm without looking safely, like I'll fail in the, you know, in the middle of the night. Right. So like these are all training things I would do with my safe training, mm-hmm. you know, Tom would do with his safe. And I'm like, we need to make this known because this is a training gap people are not aware of nobody thinks about i should probably train with that safe i should probably put myself in a scenario within my house time myself you know or what if on the way to your safe there's like a floor full of legos (laughs) you know like you just all the things right or you have one in your closet and then you're this sounds so anyway you have one in your closet but your wife has put all the coats in there like on top of it Now, now it's completely covered like all the things right so we actually have developed like a type of curriculum that trainers can actually like look at and like they can incorporate using our safes, you know, in their shoot houses or in their classes to teach people, you know, the reality of you, you think you can get your weapon out quickly, but can you really? And then they, they do that and they're like, Oh my gosh, I need to, I do need to practice. Cause this was not as easy as what I thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah. I think if that makes sense. I, I think it's so easy to, to, bring up the analogy. It's like, it's very similar to people that say, I'm going to carry a firearm, but I'm not going to have a round chambered. It's just going to be, you know, I'll have time in an emergency to chamber that round. You know, people say that all the time. And at the very beginning of the podcast, you're like, oh, I'm going to put a pistol that's loaded in my waistband. It's like, look, if it's a good striker fire pistol, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to go off on you. So, uh, you know, I think there's definitely training that needs to get, you know, brought into the mainstream with safes where people are like, look, I keep it in my safe when I get home. It's like, well, why don't you keep it in your waistband until you go to sleep? And if you really, Mm -hmm. really want to then put it in the safe then, but don't put it in the safe right when you get home, you know, carry that thing on you because your emergency might happen at some point and you don't want to run to the safe. You want like make that a protocol. Um,
1: oh yeah, you know? yeah.
0: So I've got it. I've got something I got to share with you because you know I've been messing around with the safes and just thinking about different ideas. And I really think secure it is on the verge of something awesome. And I want to take credit for this one. Um, I think. <laughs> like for a garage storage solution, like you guys are obviously securing firearms, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of money in expensive fishing rods and it wouldn't take much to create a rod holder that goes on those wall panels that instead oh, of that's having, a good idea. yeah, damn right. Right. Uh, that's why you guys yeah. sent the safes to me. You know, I figure, you know, I'll, I'll use them and find other things, but uh, you know, instead of having those, those buttstock cradles create something that holds the you know the handles of fishing rods, and then have a cradle that goes into the wall mount. And now for someone who's the sportsman, they have the safe, but then they also have a section in their their uh, their gun wall that holds their fishing rods. You know, because some of the guys—that's a
1: fantastic idea. You know, yeah, I, because you know what, equipment's yeah. expensive. Damn right. <laughs> and, the, and the more I just started getting into the hunting side of things, I've always been self-defense. You know, tactical side. And I just started getting into the um, uh, conservation and hunting. And I'm realizing how expensive that stuff is. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, for these people who, I mean, this is like, like that, like they, um, and I'm so sorry. There goes the dog. (laughs) Um, No. Um, for those people, like, you know, sometimes that that stuff is more expensive than a firearm and, you know, you don't want that just laying around in the closet, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, um, that's okay that's a really fantastic idea now you've got my brain going you
0: know i'm just i'm just thinking of it and then the other one too because i'm building out my garage to have firearms and my fishing poles and my tools yeah i mean the same way that you have the cradles for the rifles you could do cradles for a power drill cradle for reciprocating saw like those wall panels are so legit like we've put a lot of weight on them here um and they can hold a significant amount of ammo and 50 caliber yeah. you know or 30 caliber ammo cans. so i don't see why you can't expand and, and reach out to other other uh you know customers that maybe are you know the blue collar guy that is also a shooter you know and it's like hey i yeah, wish i had this for it. my it tools it's
1: so funny because you're coming with these amazing ideas and as far as i've gotten is I've taken part of a wall panel and I made a spice rack. <laughs> See, that's cool. <laughs> I have a spice rack in my pantry. <laughs> but yours are like much more phenomenal.
0: <laughs> I, I try. You know, I try. But seriously, yeah. like, like I think, I think there is a greater discussion that people need to have because everyone thinks like gun safe and they think of what I brought up where it's the, you know, that stamped steel that you just buy from Walmart or you buy it from Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever company. And it's like, okay, you throw it in your basement, you're good. But there's so much more that's out there now. And people should educate themselves the same way that you did the deep dive on, say, like breaking down the firearm, like, well, where else could I put a firearm and what makes logical sense? Like, you know, do you want to put it in your basement where there's moisture or do you want to put it in the... You know, in your closet. Do you want to put it in, yeah. you know, the kitchen pantry? Like what makes the most sense? And then the other thing is, I I remember some of the best gun shop advice I've ever heard. This guy was looking for a safe and the guy's like, How many guns you own? And the guy's like, Well, I own nine. He goes, get yourself a sixteen, uh, a sixteen gun gun safe. And the guy's like, But I only own nine. He goes, You're gonna own more. <laughs> you know, he's like, <laughs> right? The amount of the amount of time I've seen you in here, he's like, You're gonna own more. So you know i love that idea of having you know multiple safes i love the idea of you know putting them in different places and again don't put all your eggs in one basket you have a kitchen fire and that safe burns you know whether you have a fire rated safe or not fire rated safe it's basically drywall that's in there and it's going to cook after 30 minutes so save what you can like run to your garage get what you can out you know there, there's so much, and by the way, the coffee is kicking in, so I'm just rambling at this point. But no, it's uh,
1: great. It's great because you're you're right. You're right on point with like the stuff Tom talks about. He, that's another reason he did the decentralized storage. You know, don't have all of your you know, especially if you have expensive or heirloom. Don't don't have them on in one place. If some or if somebody broke in, the odds of them finding all of your safes, you know what I mean. Like so, yeah, you're right. You're right on the same path that he is. And the whole fire rating thing is so interesting to me because people um put such an emphasis on that. But if you really do your research, um most people who had spent a ton of money on a fire rated safe, um, they've lost every all of them on oh, yeah. fire They're, or in or they've been rendered inoperable. And we actually do for those people, for the people that are hardcore, they have to have a fire rating, they have to have all the things, we actually have a safe that's called the true safe. That is um it is just that. And I cannot I think it was fire rated for two hours. I could be wrong on that. I would have to check, but it is a monster mammoth heavy safe. Like you get it in there, it's never going anywhere else. But it literally has literally has concrete poured in the sides. There's no drywall, no carpeting because those things have corrosive chemicals that actually mm-hmm. will rust your guns as well. Um, but we actually do have something called the true safe. It's a behemoth, but that's what it does. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like vault quality.
0: <laughs> now so, I remember, yeah. I remember when I was in college, like my senior year in college was nine 11. And I remember the first couple of weeks, that's what happened. And we're like, Holy crap. And I had made such a big deal out of getting my pistol permit, you know, the previous April, right? Like my birthday's in April. So I got it in May at some point And I had, that was the first year that I carried my pistol. And then that first semester, uh of my senior year in college was 9 11. so i brought Uh i brought this like little steel gun safe that i used carriage bolts and i bolted it underneath the bed of my off-campus house and I, i had a pistol with me my senior year now i didn't tell my roommates about this they knew that i was a gun guy they knew that i was into hunting and all that but then at the end of the year my ex-girlfriend um she told my roommate she's like yeah you know uh we're gonna go up, but kevin's got to grab his gun and they're like his gun you know something like that like i forgot how it was brought up but it was some something to that effect and they're like we're glad you had it because we didn't know like i mean i went to school not far from ground zero we didn't know the extent of what 9/11 was going to be but just knowing that i had that pistol in a very secure way like carriage bolted to a hardwood floor um yeah. which i knew i wasn't getting my security deposit back so you know i said screw <laughs> it i'm putting it to the floor but like i knew like even with a bunch of idiot college kids that could you know w- randomly walk into my house there's no way they were getting that thing out of out of that safe i think right. people need to know like you can't just have a safe you have to have a secure way of mounting that safe and even if you have a fire rated safe that weighs 800 pounds, there are crackheads out there that'll find a way to mount that thing, you know, to the back of a truck and drag it down the street.
1: Well, they so, can just saw the top off of it with a regular saw. From yeah. Depot.
0: Yeah, or, yeah.
1: Tom Tom's done it. There's a video somewhere. And, and <laughs> but, I don't, yeah.
0: And I don't want to bring it's, up the way that Jerry just told me how we'll talk offline, but he's like, Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of convicts break into safes this way. And I was like, Oh, I never thought of that. But yeah, I, people need to realize it's like, crazy. it's a, you only have so much time. Like, Anyone can break into any safe, but you really need to build that. And if someone were to break into your safe, you know, would you want them to get everything or maybe just right. some of the stuff? And granted, I know it's not a great strategy. Like, don't let them break in, in the first place. Get an alarm on your house and, you know, get your your uh, your hybrid dog that you have chewing up your Christmas <laughs> tree now, you know. But uh, but the thing is, like, like it. the strategy is sound. Like, don't let them steal everything, you know, if that just happens to be the worst case, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's just taking that thinking a step further, you know? Um, And and that's the thing I always encourage people. Like, you know, I can say whatever I say, but, you know, I don't know. Sometimes everything's not just space value. Like, Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. Like you have to really think things through. And I think in our society anymore, that's probably the biggest thing that's becoming lost on people. People just don't really think things through. Like, you know, past the moment or past the, you know, like the things that you're saying, like they just don't think about it. So you're absolutely right.
0: One of the things that we always do toward the ends of the podcast, and I'm saying we always do, but I usually forget to do it is we tend to do, <laughs> we tend to do uh, like five rapid fire questions for, you know, whoever is on And I've got some rapid fire questions for you. There's no need to answer them super fast, but if you do, we'll give you more respect. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to uh, ask you these questions and then I want to know where people can follow you. And then we'll we'll sign off because I know your time is valuable. Okay. All right. So you have a website and on your website, it's very well done. And you've got a whole bunch of links to videos and whatnot. What is your favorite Mm -hmm. video that you've done and why?
1: My favorite video. Um... That's a hard one. Uh,
0: <laughs> Don't stall. Come on. Clock is ticking.
1: Okay. Okay. Favorite, favorite. I'm um, probably, probably on my Zev um, Coralie rival. I really like that one because <laughs> that was fun.
0: Okay. So it was, it was the fun factor. All right.
1: Yeah, that was fun. It was fun to do. Yeah. It was good fun.
0: Okay. Second question. If you could have a dream range date, this does not need to be romantic, a dream range date with any celebrity, who would it be?
1: Keanu Reeves is that too too too, too, too stereotypical?
0: <laughs> no, I mean I mean the dude the dude definitely trains. Uh, I mean we've he, seen him train and yeah. you know he throws I, himself. I
1: would, I would have to pick Keanu. <laughs>
0: okay, let's let's add a let's add a subsection to this question. Now, what vintage Keanu? Are we talking like speed Keanu? Or are we talking like you know the the John Wick Keanu, Matrix Keanu? Like, do you have a vintage I'm Keanu? A John
1: Wick. Because I was never a huge fan of his prior to that, Um, I kind of fell in love with the whole "Oh my gosh, he's doing everything right. This is all this is all legit. <laughs> like, there's not like a thousand rounds before he changes a, a magazine." <laughs> um, so we're gonna go Keanu with uh, with uh, John Wick. Yeah, that's the one.
0: <laughs> okay, sticking with the firearms theme, what is your Grail pistol?
1: <sighs> my. Nighthawk counselor. I would have to go with that.
0: That's a good choice. That, That's a real good
1: That choice. is my, that is my, um, that is my, um, yeah. That's the one I'm always a little hesitant to let people shoot. That's <laughs> very special to me. <laughs> that would be it.
0: Okay. Question number four. What is a quote that you live by?
1: Hmm. Uh, when a culture of ladies arises, a culture of gentlemen will follow. You'll find that on all of my social media and my website. A that one I live by because um, I'm very anti-feminist. Um, I'm very traditional, but I think you can be a strong woman. But I believe that um, gentlemen will be found when ladies, when women can start behaving like ladies, and that's not like a prude or it doesn't mean what people think that means. Um, I think the essence of being a true woman is being lost on our younger generation. So yeah, that would be it.
0: That's a solid one. And, and before we get to question five, I'll say this, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of mentoring calls with like the apogee program and talking to a bunch of young men about growing into being a proper gentleman. And, you know, I think the the focus that I've had over the past few years is talking to men, but, when I was a former, or I'm a former high school history teacher, when I would talk to the ladies, I would say, you know, girls, you will grow up to become women, but that doesn't make you a lady and boys you'll grow up to become men, but it doesn't make you a gentleman. You know, it, that's really a matter of how you carry yourself, what you believe in, how you treat others. You know, you will reach adulthood, but you might not reach that maturity and that level of respect to make you a lady or a gentleman that's up to you so that's awesome
1: absolutely.
0: yeah, Shout out yeah for that absolutely
1: okay.
0: <laughs> all right so the last one this is the the most philosophical and the probably the hardest question okay at what point in your life were you the most proud of an accomplishment and what was it mm.
1: Um, That would be, this is going to make me cry. (laughs) That would be um, when my very first article was published in print and I could walk in the Barnes and Nobles with my dad and pick up the magazine and open it up. And that was my name in print. Um, Doing something that no one would have ever expected me to do in an industry no one would have ever thought I'd be in. Um, And the reason that was so special with my dad was because when i started all of this my my very traditional mother who's a mix between June Cleaver and Carol Brady um, <laughs> my sister the people in my family were like they thought i'd lost my mind <laughs> i'm working in a an industry full of men with guns right and, and they were just terrified and had it not been for my dad i probably wouldn't have continued because my dad was like go do this. You can do this. You are, you know, you be you, you can, you don't have to, I don't know. He just encouraged me. He was my biggest fan. Um, if, if, if not for him, I, I might've quit at certain points just because of my own personal life and the, the, the flack I was getting from people because it was just something they didn't understand. And, um, so that would have been the best moment and sadly i lost my father 2 years ago so um and he's always somebody when something this is going to sound terrible but like if I went to an event and I outshot all the guys <laughs> or I outshot this special forces guy over here or something like that, I'd be like super proud of myself, but not something I'd put out on social media. Right. And, um, but I'd call my daddy like, I just outshot everybody. And, um, he'd be the only one I'd share that kind of stuff with. And he was like, that's my girl. You just stuff like daddy daughter stuff, right. And, um, I, I, oh, I miss him so much. And you know, when I do these different things or accomplishments or whatever, um, so yeah, that very first magazine, the very first article article, being able to open that and see that with my dad, that nothing will ever top that. So
0: yeah, parents are important. Um, you know, I just saw my dad this past weekend, we're recording this right now just shortly after Christmas. And, you know, it was so cool watching my dad play the piano because I grew up watching him play the piano. He learns, learn how to play the piano at like age 45. And he plays by ear. Like uh-huh. you can say like, Hey, play whatever. And you can just play it and just watching him light up, you know, he's going to be 85 in a couple days. Um, watching him light up. Like I have a different appreciation of the man now that, you know, I'm closer to the age that he was when he had me with my mom. And, you know, like I'm so happy that I moved to the East coast because, you know, at the time, you know, last year I, both my parents were sick. I almost lost my dad. So I value all the time with him and you're right. Getting, getting that little little nod where your parent says like, I'm proud of you. Oh my God. I mean, I'm getting choked up just talking about that. Like when my dad I mean, says he's horrible. proud of me, it's,
1: it's not an ego thing or it's not a, but that, that at a boy at a girl from yeah. the person you truly respect, like, Oh, there's nothing yeah. else like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Agreed. So, So before I I turn into a sob and mess over here, uh, or you turn into (laughs) that, um, there are going to be people that are going to want to reach out, whether it is for firearms advice, or it is for learning how to become a writer, or maybe they're interested in secure it, which they should be. How can people reach out to you? Where can they find you on socials? Where are you going to be? This is your chance to kind of let it all out there.
1: Sure. Um, my uh, To DM me, you know, or message me on social would be probably the quickest. So on Instagram, it's klhunter42 um, and then Facebook and LinkedIn, um, just under Karen Hunter. And my website is thekarenhunter.com.
0: Hold on, is there another Karen Hunter out there that took your domain name and you had to be the Karen Hunter?
1: Yes, it, this is so funny. If you have time for a quick story. Yeah. Because I, because I, there is another I her up. Hunter. She is beautiful. She's a beautiful Black lady and she's very anti gun and <laughs> as, as liberal as I am conservative. And it's so funny. Um, so she, and she, she had a huge hand in getting, um, some, I don't know, some flag removed somewhere. But anyway, um, she has a talk show and everything else. So, um, when I, she, she beca- she's, you know, a little more known, a little more out there than, than what I am. So she had her website versus Karen com. So the only thing left for me was the karenhunter.com And I'm like, Oh, that sounds so pretentious, but I had to go with it, but that's why. <laughs> but what's funny is on Twitter, when it was Twitter before it was X or whatever, several years ago, um, I would get a ton of her messages from all these people <laughs> that had all these anti-gun things and all these anti-white people things and all the, all the things. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, do they not see the photo? There's a white woman with a gun. Like, and then at that time it was like this big AR. Right. So it was like, you not see your... <laughs> Does nobody see that. <laughs> so for a while, I'm like, I'm so sorry you have the wrong person, but they just kept flooding me, and flooding me. So eventually I just said, I'm so pro-gun right now. I changed my political platform.
0: <laughs> you should have, you know, you missed the perfect opportunity. You said that she's very liberal. You should have chosen the domain name, the right Karen Hunter.
1: Oh, no, I should have. You know,
0: you missed your mark there.
1: I missed that vote there. <laughs> yeah. So funny. But yeah, that's why that B there. I was like, well, it is what it is.
0: <laughs> well, Karen, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing so much of your story. And I'm excited to work with you in the future. And, you know, I'm, curious to see if those fishing rod racks are going to come out at some point um i
1: gonna have to include you in that conversation oh nice hell yeah idea. absolutely
0: so thank you so much stay on um but guys for everyone else listening thank you so much for joining us for the Field fieldcraft survival podcast until next time